We'll be in John chapter 10 today, and I've been looking forward to this chapter for a long time. It's special to me. It's one of my wife's favorite chapters in all the Bible, so I I hope we can do it justice today. There's so much depth in this chapter. There's so many truths in this chapter. We see uh, the order of salvation here. We see uh, doctrines of Reformed theology here. We see God's sovereignty here. We see a lot of things in this chapter. And it's a beautiful chapter. And the thing that I think we have to remember, and and I'm going to go back to John 9 really quickly before we um, get too far into this, because I was telling some people yesterday that I got in the car after we left Sunday night and got home and I started to beat myself up a little bit because I felt bad. I had not uh, went into the detail and I had not mentioned a few things in one of these verses in chapter 9. And I wanted to get here. Sunday couldn't come fast enough because I just wanted to make a real quick note on one of these verses in chapter 9. And that verse was chapter 9, verse 3, where it says when talking about the blind man. Was he born this way? Uh, Was it his sin that caused this, or was it his parents' sin? And then Jesus answered and said, it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And we had talked about how this was for the glory of God and for the power of God to be seen, but uh, I didn't mention that, so I want to mention it today. But it's important that he says it was so the works of God could be displayed in him. And if you remember, going back to the ending of John chapter 5, Jesus is giving them witnesses of, that testify to who he is. Because they knew that in, for matters to be settled or uh, there to be credibility in an account back in that day or a matter of, of dispute, there had to be at least two witnesses. Remember, two or three are gathered, like we've used that out of context a lot. But in that time, for a, it, it, it couldn't be just one witness. No one could be convicted. There could be no one condemned. There couldn't be anything resolved on the matter of one witness. And Jesus knew that. And, and they were going, the Pharisees were going back to the Old Testament law. So he, at the ending of John chapter five, says, okay, you want witnesses? I'll give you witnesses that testify to who I am, that I came from heaven. And it lists several of them here. Uh, there, he, he says that the Father testifies about me. He says that the Scripture, the Old Testament, testifies about me. He says John the Baptist testifies about me. But then in verse 36 of John chapter 5, he says, but the works that I do testify that I'm from the Father. So this man born blind so that the work of God could be manifest in him to show that the Son, the, the, the Son of Man, Christ, who's standing here healing this man, was sent from the Father. It validated that he came from the Father. And the one who comes from the Father is the Son of Man, because no one has ascended into heaven except the one who's descended first. And at the end of all this, what does this man believe? You remember when Jesus comes to him at the end of chapter 9, he says, do you believe? In the Son of Man? He says, who is he? So I believe. He says, it's me. He says, I believe. So those works that he did of healing this man were testimony, a witness that that he was sent from the Father. He is the Son of Man, and that's what this man believed at the ending of John chapter 9. So I'm sorry I didn't tell you that last week. Um, I feel better. I feel better. I can sleep tonight. 
So, but John chapter 9 is important because John chapter 9 and John chapter 10 are the same scene. I think that a lot of times we get tripped up on this, and that's why so often and, and so frequently I just want to keep reiterating that there were no chapter and verse divisions when the Bible was written. There was not John chapter 9. There was not John chapter 10. It was one continuous account. So John chapter 10 is in the same scene of where John chapter 9 left off. And if you remember where John chapter 9 left off, that this man continued to hold to the story uh, of what had happened to him, that it was Jesus who had healed him, who he was born blind, but now he sees physically and he believed that Jesus was the Son of Man, and he was healed from his spiritual blindness as well. And the Pharisees kept pressuring him to recant his testimony. They brought his parents in to try to get some further clarification, but they were afraid of the Pharisees, and they weren't going to stand against them in any matter. But this man stood, and he kept telling them, I've told you, I was blind, but now I see. It was Jesus. And because he held to this story and this account of the truth of what happened, the religious leaders excommunicated him. They cast him out. And this day has went from him being healed physically and spiritually to now being an outsider, if you will, from the religious establishment there. And at the ending of John chapter 9, Jesus had came to him. After he'd been kicked out, he asked him if he believed in the Son of Man. He says, I don't know who he is. Jesus says, you've both seen him and he's the one talking with you. And he believed. And then the Pharisees come and they want to know, are we blind too? And he says, well, he says, because you don't think you need a healing, because you don't think you're sinful, then your sin remains. But if you realize that you were blind and you couldn't see and you needed someone to touch you, then you would ask and your sins would be forgiven. And then right at the end of that, John chapter 10 starts. But it's the same scene. It's the same story. And what Jesus is going to do here is he's going to give one of the most sharp in your face rebukes to the Pharisees you've heard so far. Because now he's going to stand face to face. And here's this scene where it's Jesus, the man that he healed, the Pharisees who kicked him out, and all the surrounding people are coming to this scene. And Jesus is going to look right at them. And he's going to tell them a figure of speech that they would know. He's going to start talking about sheep and shepherds and doorkeepers and hired hands and thieves and robbers. In this whole figure of speech, he's pointing right at the Pharisees. This is a, an amazing thing if you look for it. Like Luke 15, for example. We know Luke 15, it's the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, and the prodigal son. But how that starts up in chapter 15 is because the Pharisees are looking down upon the, the dirty people who are coming to him. The tax collectors and the sinners are coming to him and they start murmuring and complaining. So Jesus tells them a parable about who they are. The prodigal son is spoken to the Pharisees, how they are the older brother. That's the whole thrust of that parable. 
And now the good shepherd, as it will tell us about Christ being the good shepherd, what this is going to do, this whole story is going to compare the false shepherds, the Pharisees, versus the good shepherd, Christ. And that's how John 10 is going to set up. He's rebuking them as false shepherds, false under shepherds of God or the people of Israel. So let's read this. And on your sheet, it says one through 21. That's not going to happen today, this morning. We're going to get down to about verse 11 today, if we can get to that point. But I want to read it and then set the context of it. And then we will see what is happening here. So keep that in mind. The man has just been healed. He's just been kicked out. Jesus has come to him. The religious leaders are there. And now he's going to tell them this. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up another way, he is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he puts forth all of his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. A stranger they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what thing, those things which were which he had been saying to them. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and ask for help today. This is a chapter that has so much truth and weight to it. And Lord, I pray that you would just help for us to understand it, that you would open our souls and our eyes and our ears to hear the truths and Lord, if we've heard this chapter a hundred times, Lord, let us come to it like it's the first time we've ever heard it. Let, it. let us see the truth of it, Father, as revealed by the Spirit of truth. Lord, let the, the Holy Spirit illumine our eyes today so we could see who you are, how you are the good shepherd, and what you've done for your sheep. So, Lord, we give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I think it's important before we start working through these verses, it's important to understand what the scene was involving sheep and shepherds and all that they would be familiar with at this time. And, and shepherding and and. and Taking care of the sheep was something that goes back way into antiquity. And it's a, it's a theme. It's a, it's a, a thing that holds dear to the hearts of the readers, even of the Old Testament. And as we study types and shadows, we know that a lot of these people who are shadows and, and types pointing to Christ, they were shepherds in the Old Testament. 
And we have a few here. We won't go into an exhaustive list of them, but we see that Abel, we know Cain and Abel, he was a keeper of the flocks. Abel was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. We know Moses was a shepherd. We know Jacob was a shepherd. And yes, we know David was a shepherd. That's not an exhaustive list, but many of these key figures that we find in the Old Testament, they were shepherds. They were shepherds as pointing to the true and good shepherd, which is Christ. And we see that in the Old Testament, before the incarnation, before Christ came and took on flesh and laid down his life for the sheep, we find many references in the Old Testament of God being a shepherd. Now, you probably don't have to think very long and hard to think of one in particular one. It's the one that even if you're a non-believer, you probably know. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You've heard that. The Lord is my shepherd. There's many more. Like I said, this is not an exhaustive list. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11 says this, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock, In his arms, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. Micah chapter 5, verse 4. Now this is a great chapter. If you ever want to read an Old Testament chapter, it's Micah chapter 5. Because there's a prophetic verse, a couple verses before this. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it prophesies that out of Bethlehem, will come the one whose days have no end or beginning. It is the Messiah who will come out of Bethlehem. It's prophesied in Matthew or Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But two verses later, we hear this. And he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God. And they will remain because at that time, he will be great to the ends of the earth. Psalm 78, verse 52, but he led forth his own people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 80, verse 1, oh, give ear, shepherd of Israel, you who lead like Joseph like a flock, you are enthroned above the cherubim, shine forth. Jeremiah 31, verse 10 says, hear the word of the Lord, O nations. And declare in the coastlands afar off and say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Psalm 28 verse 9, save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. This is not a new concept to the Pharisees. These were the ones who prided themselves, them and the scribes prided themselves on knowing the Old Testament. And all through the Old Testament, these key people are shepherds. And there's verse after verse after verse that God is the shepherd. But knowing how it was set up in this time gives us great context. Because I think if we spend the first part of this 
explaining how the shepherd and the, the doorkeeper and all this came to pass and what it meant in this time, then these verses are just preached themselves. That's what I'm hoping. So here's how it would go. That at this time that the sheep were kept in folds or pens. And there was a doorkeeper at the door. And the doorkeeper was there. He was, he was hired out by the shepherd of those sheep because there were times when the shepherd could not be there. He couldn't be there 24 hours a day. He had to go sleep. He had to go rest. He, he may have to go to town or do something. So when he was not able to be there, there would be a doorkeeper. And the doorkeeper had one job. Only let the shepherd of the sheep into the fold. That was his job. And he knew who had the authority to come through the door. He knew who had authority to come in and gather the sheep. So if someone came to this door of the fold and he didn't recognize them or he knew that they did not own the sheep, they weren't his sheep, he would tell them, can't get in. Because only the true shepherd of those sheep would the doorkeeper allow in because they were his sheep. So then if one came for the sheep that was not the shepherd and they weren't given access to the door, the only way they could get to those sheep would be climbing over the, pit, the fold, the pen, the wall. They couldn't go through the door. They weren't their sheep. So they would come and they would try to get to the sheep for selfish gain, for selfish reason. They would want to either steal them or kill them or destroy them for their own selfish desires. They would maybe kill them so they could have the wool. Maybe they could eat the meat. They would maybe try to sell them. You see, it was a selfish reason that the ones who weren't the shepherd would try to get to the sheep. And they knew they couldn't get into the door because the doorkeeper wouldn't let them in. So they had to get in another way. And those were the thieves and the robbers. They were only trying to get to the sheep for their own selfish gain. But when the true shepherd of the sheep would come, the doorkeeper would step aside and say, go on in, they're your sheep. You do whatever you want to, they're your sheep. And that's where this story begins. Now keep that in mind as we read through this story. Jesus starts out chapter 10, verse 1, with two words that bring us to the edge of our seat and cause us to pay attention. When Jesus says, truly, truly, we take notice because that is the way of saying what I'm going to tell you is very important. Amen, amen, or this is truth, so listen. And he turns right to the Pharisees, turns right to the ones who kicked this man out, and maybe this man who's blind standing right to his side. And he looks right at him and he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up another way, he is a thief and a robber because the doorkeeper won't let him in because he doesn't have authority to come in. They're not his sheep. And if you go in another way to try to get to the sheep for selfish gains, you're a thief and a robber. If you haven't picked this up yet, He's telling the Pharisees straight to their face, they're the thieves and the robbers. They're the false shepherds. They're the ones who have no good intent for the people that are in the house of Israel, but they only do what they do for their own benefit. They're the false shepherds. He is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door 
is a shepherd of the sheep. This speaks to the authority that the true shepherd has to come in to the sheep. Verse 3, he says this, To him the doorkeeper opens. And you ready to get some theology going today? Might as well start right here. To him the doorkeeper opens. And the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own by name and leads them out. Before we really jump into it, let me also set this scene for later to tonight so we can get the understanding of what's going on here. In John chapter 10, you're going to see two folds mentioned. You're going to see two groups or folds, if you will. And right now, in this setting we're in, in these verses, the first fold of sheep he's talking about is Israel. That God has an elect in Israel. He has sheep in Israel. And he will call those elect out. And tonight, if you come back, when we get down to verse 16, which is another of Taylor's favorite verses, it'll tell us, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. That's the Gentiles. That's where you and I come in. So we should be thankful that he has sheep in another fold, because if he doesn't, we have no hope. But here he's talking about Israel. Here he's talking about these Pharisees and the scribes who are to be the under shepherds. Uh, this title that they have of to, are supposed to be caring for the people, but they're false shepherds and they want to kill and steal and destroy. But so now he sets his side on the first fold. This is Israel. And look what it says. To him, the doorkeeper opens because he has authority and his sheep hear his voice. Who are his sheep? His sheep are the elect. And we're going to find this as we work through this section of Scripture. It says his sheep hear his voice. Notice how it says his sheep. He's going to call his sheep out. He's going to call his true sheep out of Judaism, out of Israel. He's going to call his true sheep out unto himself. And you will find here what it says. You're going to hear the effectual call. His sheep hear his voice. And what is the result of them hearing his voice? They possibly may come. They'll think about it really hard and say, no, thank you, good shepherd, sir. No, 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 no. This call is an effectual call. This call is effectual because it has the desired effect to which it was intended. That is what is brought forth. Look at the certainty of all these verses. He calls, they follow. He calls, they come. They're his sheep. What's amazing here is there's some sense that we're his sheep before he calls us. He hasn't called, but he says, I got to go get my sheep. How could that be? How could they be his sheep before he calls them? This is where we come into election. And we continue to look at this. His sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name. There's some report that in antiquity, the shepherds would call their sheep by name. Maybe it was by a characteristic. Maybe it was by something they had on them. Maybe some of the coloring or who knows. But what this is speaking to is the intimacy of the shepherd and the sheep. It's a personal thing that the shepherd would call his sheep 
by name. And what would we expect? Anything less? We know he would call his sheep by name because in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, and in Revelation chapter 17, verse 8, it says before the foundation of the world, the sheep's name were written in the Lamb's book of life. Not when one calls upon Christ. That's not when your name gets written in the Lamb's book of life. But as Revelation 13.8 and 17.8 tells us, that the name of the sheep are written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world, then you have to ask yourself, how could that be? That's called God's sovereign election. Before you and I took a breath, if He has shined His love upon you that you don't deserve, and with the same love He loved the Son, He, he placed upon you, and by mercy and grace alone, not by works, He would give you to the Son, then He would mercifully write your name in the Lamb's book of life before you took a breath. His sheep. That's why when He comes to His sheep, they're His sheep. And He calls them by name because that name has been recorded before the world was. It's an intimate, personal thing that not by your works, but by mercy alone that God would choose to know you in a salvific way, choose to rescue you, choose to have mercy on you. And if you want to stop and try to think all day of why you deserve that, I will tell you, don't waste your time because you won't come up with a good answer. You are saved by God's sovereign mercy, His election upon you. His sheep, He calls by name. Isn't that amazing that the God who's so infinite is the God who's so intimate with His sheep. He calls His sheep by name. And those names are in the Lamb's book of life before the world was. He calls them. There's the effectual call. I thought about it. I'm going to do it. I can't, I can't go past the effectual call without going back to Genesis chapter 1. And I think that's okay. Because the effectual call is a call that accomplishes what it desires. And one of the greatest examples of this is when our Lord speaks into the darkness and He says, let there be light. He called light into existence. And do you know what the light did? We ask this every time. Do you know what the light did? The light came. Because when God calls someone effectually, they come. You see, this is why Reformed theology is so consistent. He writes your name in the Lamb's book of life. You're His sheep. He gives them to the Son. The Son will go and die for those that He's given. He's going to lay His life down for the sheep. We're going to find that out here in a little bit. But you're, you'll come because it's an irresistible grace. It's an effectual call. It's an irresistible grace. I will call. They will come. There's certainty. There's absoluteness there because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And those whom He foreknows, what happens? He glorifies. You'll be in heaven. It's the golden chain that's unbreakable. He calls His own sheep by name. And they come. You remember John chapter 6, verse 37? Who comes to Christ? 
Who comes to this good shepherd? It says this in John chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father has given me, they come to me. What would we call those whom the Father has given to the Son before the world was? We would call those the elect of God. The Father gives them to the Son, and the Son will go live a perfect life for them. And in verse 11, he's going to tell us what he's going to do for those same people. He's going to lay his life down for them. He calls and they come because they've been given by the Father. Look at verse number four. He says, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them and the sheep follow because they know his voice. Look at the certainty of that. He brings them out. He goes before them and they will follow. And in verse five, it says a stranger, they simply will not follow, but will flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Do you know what you've just heard there? Perseverance of the saints or as Zeke and I were talking, perseverance of the sheep. If you like that better. This is why we believe in eternal salvation of the elect of God, because those who truly have been changed. They will love God and they will keep his commands and those whom he foreknew. He predestined those whom he predestined. He calls those who he calls. He justifies. Look at this calling. It says he calls them. And what is the result of all that he calls? They're justified. And if he justifies you, he will glorify you in heaven. But this is perseverance of the sheep. It says they will follow their shepherd. And it says after that, he calls them out. This is after salvation. They will not follow another. They will not hear the voice of anyone else because everyone else is a stranger to them. Once he calls you out, you're his. You won't follow anyone else. You won't say, well, you know what? I just, this isn't for me anymore. I'm going to lose my salvation. That's not how that works. If he calls you out, you're his. If he calls you out, he knows you by name. If he calls you out, your name is in the Lamb's book of life. You're his sheep. He knows you personally. Those are the ones that have been given by the Father and you follow. You love this shepherd. And you will not follow another. This is speaking of the perseverance of the sh- of the sheep. And they will follow him all the way to eternity. And what a good shepherd he is that he goes in front and he leads. We see a lot of herding going on now. It's from the back, isn't it? They get from the back and they drive them forward. But not this shepherd. This shepherd goes ahead. He's going to meet every danger head on before it gets to a sheep. He's going to be the one who guides us every step of the way. He's going to guide us in this land until we reach eternity. It is him that is guiding us and him that is leading us. And because we are his sheep, we follow not because begrudgingly, but because we love him. And we want to follow him because he is the good Shepherd. He goes on to say this in verse number seven, or excuse me, verse six. This figure of speech, Jesus spoke to them, but they did not understand what those things were, which he had been saying to them. They don't realize that he's calling them thieves and robbers. But he doesn't stop. So now what we're going to hear in verse seven is the third I am statement. And he says this, Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, listen up, that's what he means. 
I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And what he's done is, before he said, look, the one who has authority to enter into the door, that's the one who's the true shepherd. The doorkeeper lets him in. He has authority. He's using what they know about first century AD and shepherding and doors and gates. And he's saying, listen, that means I have authority to go in. But now he's going to change it and say, not only do I have authority to go in the door, I am the door. And what he's saying here is there's only one way for the sheep to have life. There's only one door that the sheep can go through to have pasture. And that door is me. Remember in John 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way to have eternal life. There's only one way for the sheep to have this life. And it is to pass through the door, going through Christ and Christ alone. This shows the exclusive nature of Christ for salvation, access to the Father. And then in verse 8, he says this, All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. In verse 9, he says it again, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. And now we have the true meaning of this section of Scripture. He's using it as a figure of speech, and now he's saying, listen, this door that I'm talking about is me. And if you want to be saved, you have to go through me. No other way. I'm the good shepherd. I have authority. I call my sheep, and I'm the only door. And if you come through this door, you come through me, you will be saved. Not only does he call you out of the door, he is the door. He's the provider. He is all things as he is the good shepherd. And he says, if anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. What freedom there is for the Christian to come in and out. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. What freedom there is in Christ after he sets you free, after he leads you out, he leads you. But there's freedom that we've never experienced as we are led by this good shepherd. And in verse number nine, I would like to show us a verse here that probably has been taken out of context in the top five of all verses taken out of context. And you don't even have to tell me if you've taken it out of context, because I bet you have. Let's read it in context and let's see if we can figure out who he's talking about. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You've used this before talking about the devil, haven't you? In this context, that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about the false shepherds. He's talking about the Pharisees. Remember, the true shepherd goes into the door. The thieves and robbers are the ones who are trying to get to the sheep for their own selfish gain, to kill them, to steal them, and destroy for their benefit. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come they may have life and have it abundantly. You see the contrast between the good shepherd and the false shepherds? The false shepherds are about themselves. The Pharisees are about themselves. The scribes are about themselves. They will do anything. They will hurt anyone. They don't care about anything but themselves. 
They're the thieves. They're the robbers. They're the false sheep or the false shepherds of this time. And I think it's important that we go to the Old Testament just to look at this briefly. In Ezekiel chapter 34, I don't have this on your sheet copied out on there, but I think it's important to read it. In Ezekiel chapter 34. There's a prophecy against the shepherds of Israel. Remember, this first fold is Israel that he's talking about in John 10. And we know that the Jewish people, because of their sin and rebellion, were taken into captivity to the Babylonians. And this is where Ezekiel is written. This is a prophetic word that they will be restored. But in these prophecies, there's a lot of times dual prophecy where it... it takes into consideration the here and the now, but it also looks forward to future events. Now remember, Jesus is standing here. Don't, don't lose context of what's happening. Jesus is standing here with the guy who just got healed and they've kicked out, who they're supposed to be shepherding. But they're all about themselves. And he tells them, you're the thieves and the robbers. You're the ones who come to steal and kill and destroy I'm the good shepherd. You're the false shepherds. I've come to give life to my sheep. You want to destroy them. And now we look back at this prophecy in Ezekiel 34, and they know this. The Pharisees are versed in the Old Testament. Scribes and Pharisees know this. Listen to what it says. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Woe! So if that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a cursing, there's either a blessing or a woe. And cursing is a, a, a form of woe. When you see woe, not good. That's a, that's a cursedness from God. Woe, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Stealing, killing, destroying, selfish, the false shepherds. You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased, you have not healed. The broken, you have not bound up. The scattered, you have not brought back. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and with severity, you have dominated them. They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd. And they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and all and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the words of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my flock has become prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for a lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and did not feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am the against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. But I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. What a rebuke against these people seeking to steal and kill and destroy from these people. 
all for selfish gain. They're the thieves. They're the robbers. They're the false shepherds that he's speaking to here in John 10. Later in this chapter, in verse 23, he's going to say this, Then I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. David's already dead. Who could that be? Who could be the one shepherd over the one flock? The son of David. The Messiah. Jesus Christ. My servant David. He will feed them. You know why he feeds his flock? Because he cares for them. He loves them. It's a personal thing. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. Do you see the stark contrast between the good shepherd, the good shepherd of the sheep of God, and the false shepherds? These false shepherds were all about themselves. They were the ones who were climbing over the walls of the fold so they could get to the sheep to kill them, to steal them, to destroy, not to feed them, but to feed themselves. They didn't care about the sheep. What's interesting is in Matthew chapter 7, he talks about this narrow gate, doesn't he? Remember he says that the, the, the way to heaven is narrow and the gate is narrow and the road to destruction is broad. Many go that way. And he's talking about this little gate that's narrow. Remember, he's mentioned that he's the door. And now in Matthew 7, he talks about that there's this little gate. And you know what the very next verses after that are? Beware of false prophets. That's what he says. And in Matthew 23, we see an open rebuke of the Pharisees. Woe unto you, Pharisees. How they devour. L listen to just a few verses of this stealing and killing and destroying how they do. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. This is Matthew 23, verse 13. Hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go with you. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses. He says you go over land and sea to try to convert someone to your way of thinking. And then when you convert them, you make them twice the man of hell as you are. The sheep are dying. The sheep are starving. The sheep are have no true leadership. Obviously, this man just believes in the Son of Man. and He's excommunicated out of the church or the religious group there. And what they don't know is that no leader, no elder has any sheep for themselves. That's the truth. I'm thankful that you all are here today. You're not my sheep. You're not. No pastor has any sheep of his own. But we are called to be under shepherds tending God's sheep. That's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1-4. through It says, I exhort all the elders among you as your fellow elder, this is Peter speaking, in witness of the sufferings of Christ, a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Here's the call. Shepherd the flock of God. They're God's flock. If you're 
His elect, you're his sheep. You belong to God. That's an amazing thing. And the job of a pastor, the job of an elder is to shepherd God's flock, to be an under-shepherd, exercising oversight. Now listen to what God wants his true under-shepherds to look like and then compare it to what you just heard in Ezekiel 34. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not yet lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. That's a serious thing. That's a serious matter that every pastor, every elder has been allotted God's sheep. It says feed them, shepherd them. That's serious. And how do the sheep get fed today? With entertainment? Nope, that's not the shepherd's food. With great children's programs? No, that's not the shepherd's food either. Outstanding music? Nope. Do you know what the shepherd's food is? Do you know how the, feed, the, the, the sheep get fed? His word. This is the food of the sheep. And without this, you'll starve. There's no other food that satisfies. It is this. And that's why so many unconverted goats are able to stay in so many churches. Because so many churches are feeding the goats rather than the sheeps. Because when you start to give a daily dose of the shepherd's food, in the, which is the Bible, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. That's the truth. That's the most important thing in any church is the shepherd's food being served. That's all that it is. And you know what? If you're a true sheep of God, you will love the shepherd's voice. You will love the shepherd's words and you won't need anything else because it's enough. So we have a great contrast here, don't we? We have the shepherds, the false shepherds who are there for their own selfish gain. They wouldn't even do anything sacrificial to help these people. They are feeding their bellies, their desires, their selfish interests. They've come to steal, kill, and destroy. But can I tell you about a good shepherd? These false shepherds, they come to kill. But the good shepherd came to die. What a comparison. Look at the intimacy of the cross, just for a moment, if you will. The cross is not just something. The cross is not just an event in history. But the cross is the most intimate thing that you could ever imagine. Remember that the Son came to do the works of the Father. And the Son came to exegete or explain the Father. So when you see the works of the Son, you see the heart of the Father. And we see the heart of the Father with the Son upon the cross. Think about this. Before 
you and I were even on this planet. Let's go backwards. Before there was even a planet, before there was a star, a sun, a moon, any angels, anything, it was the triune God. And before the world was, something miraculous and marvelous and unimaginable happened. That by His own will and by His own desire and for His own purpose, the Father went to the Lamb's book of life and chose to have mercy on a group of people. His sheep. And He didn't write it in pencil, but He wrote it in permanent writing. And he starts to write the name of all the sheep. Taylor, before the world was, maybe he's, I know he's writing her name. That's my sheep. I know her by name. She's mine. And if you're a believer, he's done the same for you that He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. That's an intimate thing. That's a personal thing. That's a beautiful thing. That's mercy and grace. And then what does He do? All that He's written in this book and all that their names are there, He then takes those people, His elect, His sheep, and He gives them to the Son. And you know what the Son does? He humbles himself. He takes on the form of a servant and he enters into his creation. He's born of a virgin birth. And this eternal God is now truly God and truly man. And you know what he's doing every second that he's on this earth is he's living a perfect life for his sheep. He's living a perfect life so that his sheep could have righteousness imputed to them. And you know what else he does for his sheep? All that the Father has given? He willingly lays down his life for the sheep. And what you find there is intimate, personal relationship. Who does he lay his life down for? His sheep. The Bible will tell us we're either sheep or we're goats. That's your two classifications. And the Bible is absolutely, unequivocally clear. He laid his life down for his sheep. That's what it says. They're his sheep. He knows them by name. They've been in the Lamb's book of life. He's lived for them. And now, as in stark contrast to these false shepherds who come to kill the sheep, he's come to lay down his life for the sheep. And if you are a Christian, we look to the cross and we see the good shepherd willingly laying down his life for the sheep. That's a story of personal love, intimacy from the good shepherd to his sheep. That speaks to definite atonement. He died for his sheep. Every person 
that is his sheep he died for. The cross was a success. The cross was intimate. The cross was perfect. And the cross was the good shepherd dying for his sheep. Do you see the difference in the contrast between the false shepherds and the true shepherd? If you're a Christian today, stop and think about it. You were in the world. How did you come out of the world? How did you leave that fold? Remember, the sheep don't choose their shepherd. The shepherd chooses the sheep. How did you come out of the fold? You see it in this story. He calls you out. Personally and intimately. He's laid his life down for you and now he guides you. This is an open rebuke against them. And it speaks to the nature of our good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. He has all authority to enter by the door. As he is the true shepherd of the sheep, of his sheep. His sheep are the elect whom the father chose before the foundation of the world and gave to him. All the father gives to the son. They come to him as his call is effectual. He calls his sheep by name. As he knows his sheep personally, he calls them by name because the name of his sheep have been written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. And the good shepherd, he loves his sheep. And the love for his sheep is on display when on the cross he willingly laid down his life for them. He laid down his life so that they could be saved and have eternal life. And now, this good shepherd goes ahead of us. He leads us. And we will not follow another because we belong to him. We're his sheep. And here's the confidence that you and I can have. That as he's going before us now, no matter what threat, no matter what danger, no matter what difficulty we have, we know this. That he is the good shepherd. He's laid his life down for the sheep. And he will shepherd us all the way home. And you know what we'll find there? The most perfect pasture for all eternity. Do you know who he is? He is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your truth, your word that we've heard. Lord, I just want to say thank you that you sent the Son, your Son, Lord, to redeem the sheep, to lay his life down for the sheep, to live for the sheep, Lord, to care for the sheep. Lord, we know that you care for us. You're not here to harm us or hurt us. God, you're here to guide us and protect us and discipline us when we need it, God. We, we know that you are there for us. And Lord, we thank you for that. Thank you that you are the good shepherd who willingly laid down his life so that we could be saved. Lord, let us reflect on this passage today as it testifies of you, but also, Lord, as it testifies of how we came to be yours.
And it's all because of you. I give you all the glory and all the praise. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.